This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Conversation 11, and this is the beginning of the end of SOS and Jerry's career as the state's attorney's office and the FBI open investigations. But was there a single event that brought the scrutiny? Let's start at the first. We'll call it the insurance scam. SOS member John Brzezinski is transferred to an FBI special task force and gets issued a car. So what does John do with his personal car? Well, of course, he reports it's stolen so he can collect on the insurance. But where does he hide the car? He hides it inside the secured parking facility at Holman Square, a location where police inspectors check vehicle plates and registration on a regular basis. This stupid act of greed was enough to squeeze Brzezinski to spill on SOS and wear a wire. My question to Jerry was, did he see any of it coming? Funny that you would say that because I did find out it was coming. Let's start initially how I think the whole thing started to unravel. In effect, one of the guys that had worked on our team, John Brzezinski, was transferred to the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force. So he left SOS and went to work there. Approximately two to three months after working there, I came out of roll call and John was in the SOS office. He asked me if we could go to breakfast together the team and himself, and that if I would mind dropping them off at home afterwards. I said, sure. So we went to breakfast, some small talk, BS, and then normal to see them, you know, nice to see them. I asked him how everything was going at GTTF. He said he liked it, got a take-home car. So far, so good. He said he didn't care for having to wear a shirt and tie, but that wasn't every day. The Freedom was nice. The Cobra vehicle, the take-home was, was a great plus. Plus, he was getting overtime every month, guaranteed. So a short time went by after that meeting and breakfast with him. And I get a phone call. At that time, I'm working the desk. Been assigned to the desk because of my CR numbers. Probably was the investigation was starting and I didn't realize it. But that was the excuse I was given to cool out for a while. So I answered the phone. It was John Brzezinski on the other line. He's like, uh, hey, Jer, I need a favor. I'm like, yeah, what's up, John? And he's like, my car was stolen. I recovered it. I need a report. I said, well, why didn't you get a report when he recovered it? And he said, well, he said, I just drove it and, and it died out. So I just, I need a report now. Cleared a hot file. I said, okay, no problem. So I wrote the case report for him, got the information. I said, where did you recover it? Blah, blah, blah. So I put all the details in it. And I told him that I would shoot him a copy in the police mail, the insurance department mail, which he would probably get the next day. Didn't think anything of it. Little time goes by, maybe another couple of weeks. John shows up at Holman Square again. See him, I go, "What's going on?" But he doesn't—he doesn't look right. He looks a little off kilter. It's bothering him. I can tell. So he says, "Take a walk with me." We walk, and we're walking out to the parking lot to walk him down to his car. On the way down, 
in the parking lot, he stops and he's talking to me. He says, listen, I want to let you know they found my car in the west lot of Holman Square. I reported it stolen, Jared. I was going to get some money from the insurance. And I go, are you, are you out of your fucking mind, John? I said, the car's like a 1996 Chevy Blazer. What does it work? Like fucking four or $500? He's like, no, it's like three, three grand or something. And I said, John, are you fucking crazy? He says, yeah, an inspector found it and was covered in snow. And I didn't think he was going to find it. And I said, John, you fucking, you reported your car stolen for $3,000? And he goes, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. And so I'm like, this fucking guy's out of his mind. Jesus Christ. He tells me he's going to go tell his boss at the time, which was a deputy superintendent that he was working under, was uh, Tom Burns. Very good guy, very stand-up guy, good policeman. He told me he was going to go. He says, I'm going to tell Tom that I fucked up and ordered my car stolen, but it wasn't stolen. And I was going to collect the insurance, but I backed out and I never collected it. And I said, John, stop. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, are you out of your fucking mind, dude? You're going to go to one of the top six guys in the police department and sit down in his office and tell him you committed insurance fraud, but you backed out of it and you decided not to take the money. I said, do you know what you're saying? And he goes, yeah, it's Tim's dad. He's not going to do anything. He's not going to fuck me over. I said, John, he's a deputy superintendent. I don't give a fuck if you're Tim's fucking brother-in-law. You cannot go to a deputy superintendent on the Chicago Police Department, one of the top six guys in the command structure, and tell him you committed insurance fraud. He's not going to tap you on your back and say, okay, John, don't worry about it. John, he's going to fucking do what he's got to do. You're fucked. No, he'll never do that. Okay, whatever you say. Whatever you say, John. I said, you're out of your fucking mind. I'm telling you right now, do not do that. Now, you're wrong. You're wrong. So with that, gets in his car, drives off. And I walked and told a few people what he just told me. And they said, are you fucking that dude? That dude might be wearing a wire. Are you fucking crazy? You shouldn't even be talking to him for him to say some fucking stuff off the top of his head like that. So what happens? He goes in and tells the deputy superintendent what transpired. And the deputy superintendent tells him, hang on a second. He calls one of his administrative sergeants in. He has him tell the story again. And he immediately instructs the sergeant to get a complaint register number on John. Just like I told him it would happen. What happened after that, the wheels were set in motion. That sergeant, who would later go to internal affairs, immediately called internal affairs, got the complaint number on him, and then the whole deal started. John Brzezinski was a co-worker of yours in SOS. That's correct. Was he involved in illegal activity with you at SOS? Yes, he was. Unfortunately, John, I had to actually tell him a few times because of his behavior. It was so ridiculous on some of the stuff he did, stealing ridiculous things of no value out of houses that I just told him. I said, what the fuck are you thinking, taking that or taking this? What are you doing, man? And the guy was just, 
he was like a pirate who would take the fucking gold out of your teeth. That's how bad he was. He was disgusting. And I'm not trying to make light of what I did, but the stuff that he was trying to take out of people's homes, we weren't stealing only dope money. This guy was taking stuff that was just ridiculous. Games and like costume jewelry, a White Sox jacket, a brand new White Sox jacket. And what the fuck are you doing, man? It was just beyond ridiculous. So he gets this promotion, I would suppose, going to the FBI. Not a promotion. Not a promotion, like an assignment. Yes. When he comes back to visit you the first time, I know hindsight is twenty twenty. Was he laying a trap for you the first time? Um, to get back now, as regarding the car, I don't think so. Although he might have been, because I have a sense he might have been working with the state's attorney's office already for some time. So very well could have been trapping me with the car by having me prepare that report for him. And honestly, Neil, it's over with now. I've served prison time and everything. That fucking guy asked me for that report. And like an idiot, I did it for him. Not thinking twice. They still cars left and right. And he told me he was at court. And they stole his car from when he was at court. So I believe it. I mean, it's a Chevy. It's an older Chevy. They can peel the steering column on it. Why would I doubt it? What you did Is that illegal that you filed that report for him? Because you believe that his car was stolen. That's correct. I was charged with that. But none of the state charges I was convicted of. So That later became a charge that you made that false report. But what made it false in that there was a timeline or you didn't go investigate it? Is there a protocol for you to have to prove that the report's legit? You just can't file a report without going to investigate? No, not at all. The actual report that I did, I did not report the car stolen. What I did was I recovered the vehicle. So it was recovered vehicle case report. So I did not, in fact, report the car stolen. What I did is I recovered it and took it off the hot file by calling the hot desk and clearing it, saying that the car was recovered by the owner. That, uh, that's not a crime. I did hundreds of those. Policemen have their car stolen like anybody else. Doctors do, mailmen. So what he said his car was recovered, I took him for his word. I didn't report the car stolen like they said I did in court. I recovered the car. Two different case reports. That first document, was that, you think, the initial event that began the unraveling? It was one of the key things because I would later learn that John Brzezinski was cooperating with the state's attorney's office, appearing at the grand jury multiple times, sitting down with them basically giving them information on each and every one of us on the team. In addition to that, he was cooperating. He later cooperated with U.S. Attorney's Office. Somebody told me they saw him going down to the federal building, ran into him down there, and he basically said that they called him in to speak to him about something, but uh, was unrelated to anything at work. But John Brzezinski was, yes, he was their key witness to appear at the grand jury with the state attorney's office and give the state's attorney all kinds of different information. But what what he did is he insulated himself. He was the first person to go in and cooperate, and he was their key witness, and he gave them details about the different places that we stole money from. He also embellished a lot of stuff. Whoever makes the best and first deal, that's the one that's going to get the, the sweetheart deal. And that's what he did because he was never charged with a crime. Got an immunity deal. 
yeah, he got an immunity deal. Correct. Basically, to summarize, and we can expand on this, this guy gets a gig at the FBI and he gets a working car. He then decides to claim his car is stolen and pull off an insurance scam. He puts his car in a police impound. Is that accurate? No, no. What he did was he put his car in the, there were two parking lots in the home and square facility where special operations, narcotics, and various other units were located in the old Sears complex, the home and square area. And that was at 3340 West Fillmore. So we had an east lot, which is where we parked our personal vehicles, and some covert vehicles that narcotics, you know, the public can't see what's being used. And then the west lot is where all the police vehicles, the marked police vehicles, squad rolls, which are the petty wagons, and some other stuff were parked. But some other guys sometimes would park over there that worked at the crime lab because it was easier to walk from that lot across to the building to the crime lab. But he parked his car in a police facility which, where he formerly worked in the police lot. It was covered in snow, to my understanding. He did not purchase a current vehicle sticker for the city of Chicago, nor a Illinois license plate sticker, because that's how fucking cheap this guy was. He figured if he was going to commit insurance fraud, I guess he didn't want to buy the stickers because there were no stickers on the car from when I saw the report, the original report. Chicago police inspector who go out and follow police cars around to see if they're responding and uh, calls timely or they stay down on the jobs too long or they leave a job without coming to clear off the, you know, on the year or they get guys for not wearing their hats. It's like a chicken shit job. These guys are inspectors. They're lieutenants, but they, they have an inspector title. So an inspector was going through the parking lot looking for cars that had expired license plates apparently because they sometimes Cops are like everybody else. You're supposed to be on top of things, but sometimes cops forget to fucking put their stickers on and they buy them, but they don't put them on. So they get suspension for that. So he found John's car and and fucking ran the plate and it came back stolen. And that's where I did not know that, but that's when John called me to clear his vehicle. This was all in discovery I found out. I did not know anything about this, but I found this out after the fact. But I had cleared John's car after he called me not knowing that an inspector found it. It was in the fucking police lot. When he calls you and you're working on the desk, this is like a good friend calling you because you've been in yeah. the thick of it with him. Yeah. A phone call from him is not out of the ordinary. Been to my house a number of times. I'm in his life. You know, it's crazy. He goes to this superior. He gets removed from the FBI task force immediately. He's back in SOS. And then what transpires from there? At what point do you know that indictments are coming? Is it when he comes back to SOS or, or well after that? No, it, was, it wasn't well after that, but it was maybe within about, uh, I don't know, maybe eight months after. He came back. He was kind of reserved. I could tell that he wasn't himself. And it's funny because I started hearing some rumors about the Herrera and Villarreal told me that the indictments were coming down. I actually called John. I said, hey, are you around? And he's like, sure, what's up? And I told him I wanted to meet him. So he asked me to meet him at a restaurant. It was actually over on Irving Park Road. And I wanted to know if his father heard anything. 
because his father's very, very good friend, who was like the very good friend, was like John's godfather. He was a chief of organized crime. His name was Rich Stevens. His father and Rich Stevens were very, very close, Brzezinski's father. Kind of like his godfather or uncle. But anyway, that guy is the one who brokered the deal for John with Internal Affairs and the State's Attorney's Office. He interceded on his behalf, is what John told me. He said that Stevens was working to, uh, to help him. In relationship to the insurance fraud. That's correct. That's correct. Leading into going to meet him, when you know these indictments are coming or they're hovering, are you concerned? Are you scared? Are you panicked? How do you behave to this stuff? Yeah, very concerned. Very concerned. Because anytime there's an allegation where you could be indicted and sent to prison, I mean, of course, I was scared. So I go to meet him. I walk in to the restaurant. And it's pretty crowded. But there's a table wide open. And as a matter of fact, I told him, I said, John, leave your, leave your phone in the car. We're going to leave our phones in the car. I don't want to talk. I said, you never know. So I told him, and he did so. But he was probably wearing a wire, so it didn't make a difference. So we walked in, and we were seated immediately. Immediately. So I sat down. Does this send off an alarm for you? It did, because it was quite crowded. There were a few people waiting. And when we walked in, the hostess took us and sat us right away. Are you in a paranoid mode in general? Are you paranoid starting to think, like, I don't trust anybody? And you're going to kind of, like, just suss him out? Or do you trust him still at this point? Yeah, so, no, no, I don't trust him. But I want to see, because he's, he's being real elusive about answering my question, what did your Uncle Stephen say? What did he say? And he's, I'll tell you, well, you know, this and that. I said, okay, so I go, and we walk into the restaurant, and we sit down. The busboy brings us water. And I just told the woman when she came, I said, I'll take a cup of coffee for now. I'm able to get something. So I, I'm just looking around a little bit, and I zero in on a table. It's like, you know, there was like an arrow over it. And I see two guys I know that work for the state attorney's office. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I start looking around, and this isn't right. Something's wrong here. And I see another cop sitting there. But the area we're in, a lot of cops live up there. but. I couldn't remember where this guy lived. He saw me. We kind of made eye contact. And then he kind of like looked down at his phone and he didn't like wave or anything. So I'm like, what the fuck? So we're talking and I'm keeping it real generic. And I said, so did your dad hear anything from Stevens? And he goes, no, not yet. I said, did he reach out? Debbie, uh, oh boy, I can't remember her name. She was the commander of uh, internal affairs. He said, yeah, she reached out. She's playing hardball right now. We're working on it. I said, all right. I said, well, listen, John, I'm going to get out of here because I don't want to fight traffic on the way home. I said, I, you know, I didn't want to waste your time. But he said, no, no, no. He said, stick around. You know, we'll just bullshit a little bit. And I said, nah, I got to go. So I walked out, got in the car, and I drove away. And I said, this fucking guy, he's got to be working with them. Because it was too coincidental to see two state's attorney guys in there. And they weren't state attorney attorneys, they were investigators. One was a retired policeman. And then there was another policeman in there sitting at another table, all facing. One was kind of like sitting sideways, but they were like kind of facing. And they were all like glancing over. I wasn't being, you know, neurotic, but I knew that he was fucking ranting everybody out. And at least me for sure. What did you do after that? 
in terms of in general with your behavior, but specifically, did you take that information and tell anybody else that was in your group that you trusted? Yeah, I did. I actually told Herrera <laughs> and uh, I told Jim McGovern, what the fuck? But I told Herrera up until then, Herrera wasn't really cooperating with the state's attorney's office. He didn't cooperate, I believe, until it was the feds. Why are you laughing? Because he well, because he ended up stabbed you in the back. Yeah, because he, had, you know, I knew him since he was in high school. I worked with his stepdad. His mom was on the job. I never worked with her. She wasn't much of a worker. Kind of a medical role abuser. She was always like collecting money and fucking always off her. If she had a bad period, she would take off. It was absurd. And his stepdad worked on her team. He stole money together, and and here he is wearing a wire on I fucking okie doke myself right into that one. Because I was so disgusted about Brzezinski, I said, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. And that's all I had to say. Because with the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office. So after this Brzezinski lunch, or when you have this quick cup of coffee, you go to Herrera. Is that the beginning of Herrera? At that point, is not working with the feds. You think he isn't, but you provide him this information because you trust him, but you feel like this started to turn him... Yeah. And he was looking for an out as well? Yeah. And then his mother, I later heard it from uh, his, his stepdad, deceased, passed away from cancer, but he made it clear to some of our mutual friends that uh, him and I had, Kevin and I had, that were also policemen, that he had nothing to do with it, uh, that it was all his mother pressing it. Meaning she knew her son was in a shit ton of trouble. Yeah. And he looked better to throw yourself at the mercy of the court than mm-hmm. and we'll get to Keith later but he obviously was in thick as well mm-hmm. he was committing crimes he was stealing he was invading homes all of it mm-hmm. no one in your circle was innocent of any of this behavior were they one person and it was a shame her name was Meg Hopkins she never took a penny she got Rick rolled honestly she did she had nothing Really, as far as like corruption goes, she was not involved in anything. She was with us, and most of the time, we'd ever just watch the prisoners. It's a shame. It really is. For some reason, they they screwed her over, too, and indicted her and uh, forced her to resign and take conviction. All the individuals, Brzezinski started the ball rolling on, and then they all started to cave and appear in front of the grand jury. And I guess the grand jury, uh, I mean, the state's attorney's, ultimate goal was to get me. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Did you have a sense that you were the primary target? I did. Why? Well, I was the most senior guy, most decorated guy out of the group. They made me the ringleader. And the reason for that is because every one of these guys made me the ringleader. So I was the ringleader. And that's what the state attorney ended up making me, the ringleader. And so did the U.S. attorney. They said I led the whole group of cops. I was a patrolman. I had no control. These guys were mad. I stole money. We turned in millions of dollars in narcotics, never sold drugs, or put those drugs or guns that we recovered back on the street. 
were always inventory destroyed by the police department. We did, in fact, steal money, went in the houses without search warrants. So we broke the law. But unfortunately, I wasn't there all the time. And some of the stuff that these other guys did, that was a little overboard. Herrera, he was one of them. His partner, who's deceased, was a young guy. and They constantly would beat on people for no reason. I mean, handcuffed, of course. They never did it when they were on handcuffs. They were constantly heavy-handed. And if you looked at Herrera, he was built like a little girl. He was five foot seven, maybe 120 pounds at the most. Pretty much a coward. He would beat on people for no reason. Pissed me off to no end because I just told him and his partner constantly. I said, you're bringing fucking heat on us with these brutality charges all the time. When you were stealing money and you brought that money back to wherever you were going back to, was money going up the ladder to people above you? No. There were guys that insinuated that. There were guys on my team that insinuated that. They said that my Lieutenant Jake Blake was actively taking money. We were kicking back to him and the sergeants. None of that was true. I don't know if they were trying to embellish to make their cases better or to act like they knew more than they did, but absolutely not. Jake Blake was my lieutenant. I also worked for Bossy. My sergeants, like Jimmy Eldridge, some of the other sergeants, they never, ever took a penny. Not a penny. Said. I think these guys said that just to make themselves look better or to see if they can get a better deal. I don't know what more of a fucking better deal they could get, you know, because none of them served prison time except for me. Most of these guys did 30 days in Collar County somewhere, probably in special housing where they weren't out in general population. So they took convictions. I think some of them took uh, misdemeanors. My partner, Jim McGovern, who was a sergeant at the time, he became sergeant and we were no longer partners, but he cooperated. He got a deal, and I think he took a misdemeanor. Did any of these individuals in the course of the events leading up to you going to jail and thereafter and up to your release from jail to today, have any of them reached out to you and said, I'm sorry, Jerry, have any of them sent you a note? Have any one of them through an intermediary said, hey, I feel bad about what happened? Once Jim McGovern came to see me in prison, he said he felt bad and was sorry it worked out the way it did. I said, fine. For him to come and see me was a lot. So, but none of the other ones. And honestly, uh, Neil, I, I, I wouldn't want an apology from these guys anyway. I mean, who cares? I just, I couldn't believe it did what they did. And then, you know, bailed out and cooperation agreements. Even Herrera, he testified against one of the other guys on our case, who they dropped the case against, Tom Sherry. And he went to the police board just recently, probably within the last six months and uh, testified against him. I want to pause there for a second and read from the Chicago Sun-Times. Dateline January 20th, 2021. Headline, CPD officer tied to special operations section scandal faces firing 16 years later. Superintendent David Brown filed administrative charges in November against officer Thomas Sherry, who was assigned to the SOS from 2002 until 2006. The charges focus on two illegal raids conducted by SOS on July 27, 2004 on the Northwest side. 16 years after he allegedly took part in one of Chicago Police Department's biggest scandals, the department has moved to fire Officer Thomas Sherry, formerly of the disgraced and disbanded Special Operations Section. And they fired Tom Sherry. They upheld the 
superintendent's recommendation to fire him. He's been a, what you would call him the police department, POW, a prisoner of war. So what that pertains to is a, a POW. Um, you're, you're talking about Sherry. That's correct. So, was fired. Yeah. So as a POW, that's their acronym they use. But truly, you're not working the street anymore. They strip your police powers. You're on answering phones. You get your full pay. But you are not a sworn police officer as far as a police powers go. So let's go back to Brzezinski. Is that the trajectory of your engagement with him? So it's the insurance fraud. It's him coming to you to try to get advice from you about going to a superior. Then it's a lunch where he's wearing a wire. Is that the end of you engaging with him directly? Yes. Yes. I I never saw John. I actually never saw anybody again after that. After the indictment, after being in Cook County Jail with uh, Herrera, Sherry, and Suchaki, I would see some guys in passing in court, 26th and Kell, small talk, hey, what's up, that's it. There was no conversations. And once I found out that these guys were all cooperating, that was the end of that. I didn't have anything to say to them. If you just shut up and never talk to Herrera, after you left Brzezinski at that coffee shop and you never talked to Herrera, if, 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 do you think they would have still gotten you? Yes. Because they would have, I don't think they would have been able to put the case on. There's legal precedents that, that they fucked up and did. I think it was called Garrity Issues. What they did was they let the same lawyer represent like six or seven of them in front of the grand jury. You can't do that. The same lawyer from the police union. And in addition to that, everything was fucked up. You know, the state attorney's case was completely fucked up. They did all kinds of stupid shit. Did they bring you in front of the grand jury? No. Uh-uh. Nope. No, because I, I basically told them, no, thank you. When they fucking, they told me about cooperating, this, I said, no, nah, I'm good. No, thanks. What was like your biggest regret of this part of the process? I don't know that the Brzezinski lunch or coffee is a demarcation line, but for the sake of this conversation, let's just say it is. What's your biggest regret after Brzezinski. If you could do it over again, what would you have done? Talking to Herrera again. If you never talked to Herrera, do you think you would have gotten convicted? I don't know, Neil. I think they would have asked me to make a deal with them, and I don't know what my lawyers would have did. don't think they would have been able to put it on. Is there anyone that's equal to you in all of this? I know you were the ringleader, so to speak, but is there someone close that got away or never said anything and escaped out of it because they just... Locked down? Yeah. His father was partners with the Cook County judge that we appeared in front of. So the judge's father and his father were partners. So conveniently had his case dropped. It was impossible to drop his case, okay? Because first of all, his fingerprints were the only ones they recovered on a box of dope that we fucking took and gave back to a guy who gave it to a kid. His were the only prints on the fucking box. Expand on that. We went and arrested a kid named Juan Castro. Okay, up on the north side. And the kid was a young kid. We got him with a gun and a kilo of cocaine. He had no criminal background. And I said, give me the guy who gave you the dope, the bigger guy, and I won't take it to jail. So he did. So we went 
school, a guy on Harlem Avenue, North Harlem Avenue, up in the 25th district. His name was Juan Hermosillo. And we went to his house and we searched. It was loaded with like fucking drug paraphernalia, scales and all that stuff. John Hurley found 40,000. So, but it was, it was pretty funny, Neil, because supposedly, and I believe it, there was 40,000 supposedly taken out of there, but I got 4,000. So, somebody didn't add up right. Somebody didn't count right. John found the money, but he was, Hurley was known for doing that. So was Brzezinski. They never fucking, you know, like, split it equally. Was there a rule amongst you guys that the bounty was split equally? So, like, if there's a hundred grand and there's how many guys? Ten guys, it's split. Ten thousand. Ten apiece. Yeah. How would that money be divvied up? Where would you do that? One time we went to Aurora's house or apartment. Another time we just did it after work. We put it in somebody's car and then did it after work somewhere. But it was never on, on, the, on the scene. So we brought that kilo back. I was trying to squeeze that guy. Give me where he got the kilos from. And had that kilo in a Nike shoebox the whole time. And he never relinquished control of it. So his fucking fingerprints were all over that box, Neil. And the kilo. Because he handled it. So how can he drop that case? Let me be clear about this so I understand. Because you were trading up. Mm-hmm. With the kid and the kilo for the bigger guy, that was illegal behavior. You should have yeah. you should have taken the kid and the kilo and gone to the station. But was involved with this and had his hands on that box. How, how did that end up in evidence? Like, how did it get dusted for prints? We inventoried it, and the state's attorney dusted it. They went and pulled it out after when they indicted us because it's kept in evidence for like a year or something. And when they fucking went, it's actually probably longer than a year because the court case goes on. They went and had fingerprinted it. The state police fingerprinted it over at the crime lab on Roosevelt Road. His were the only fingerprints. They fingerprinted me, Neil, four, I told you this, right? They fingerprinted me four times. They had me keep taking off work. My buddy hired me. The one day I went up there, I had an argument with a one state attorney. He was the chief of the criminal division. His name's Scott Cassidy. He was arrested for the gambling boats. He was drunk in Joliet. And he told him I was Cook County State. They didn't, they didn't give a fuck. He was being a jag off. He was drunk and they arrested him. I want to stop here. Read an article from the Chicago Tribune. Headline, casino charges dropped against Cook prosecutor. Will County. Citing mitigating circumstances, the Will County State Attorney's Office Thursday dropped misdemeanor trespassing charges against a high-level Cook County prosecutor. As a result, Assistant State's Attorney Scott Cassidy returned to his post as chief of the Special Prosecutions Bureau. Cassidy was arrested in September at Empress Casino Joliet after he allegedly refused at least 10 police orders to leave the casino when asked. Earlier, casino staff cut him off from drinks and asked him to leave, police said. I go up there to get fingerprint, and I said, how many fucking times are you guys going to bring me up here to fingerprint me? I said, what the fuck? Is-? I said, you're wasting your time and my time. So I hear him come around the corner. He goes, shut the fuck up. Then you going to do what you're supposed to do in this. I said, oh, tough guy, take it easy, okay? And he says, oh, yeah, you're the tough guy. This. I said, you know what? When I'm done with the fingerprints, let's go downstairs in the parking lot. We'll set up like men. 
and he started fucking running his mouth. And I said, fuck you. You're, I said, you're a fucking big mouth pussy. I said, you know what? You can say whatever you want, Kathy. You're a fucking pussy. And then his partner just pushing him out of the room. So it was kind of personal. They keep bringing you up to fingerprint you because do you think they're just trying to squeeze you to get you to say something? They're just harassing you? Yeah, harassing. Yeah, yeah. I knew when they brought me up more than twice that they had nothing. Did you have to go and give them your fingerprints? Yeah, yeah. Judge order. Back to I want to understand this. That box is evidence. Giving it back to the kid who gave it to the other kid. We brought it back to give it to the other guy to squeeze him to get more. It is a smoking gun of evidence. Absolutely. The judge's name is John Fleming. And his fucking father, Judge John Fleming's father, was his father's partner for like fucking 12 years. They were dicks together. So conveniently, they dropped it. They dropped the case for lack of evidence. Against, and I was like, lack of evidence. I was like, well, I didn't say anything, but I was like, are you kidding me? But I knew from the get go, the father was at every court fucking appearance. I mean, he knew this fucking judge since he was a kid. You know what I mean? How do you know that his fingerprints were on the box? Is that evidence that's revealed in court? Yes, yes, and it was discovery. The FBI asked me. They said, "What about this?" And as I said, "Yeah." You got the wrong guy. That was Hurley. Hurley was killed in a motorcycle accident driving back from an event in Indiana. Butler University cop was killed in the line of duty and they went down in a motorcycle club, went down there. Hurley is part of your SOS crew. Hurley and some other members go down to engage or be involved in a ceremony for a fallen officer in Indiana. But on the way back, Hurley is on a motorcycle. The fenders had a milk truck, a trailer, yanked them down, got his handlebar, and yanked them under the truck and decapitated them. Sad stuff. And was Hurley a younger? Yeah, yeah, young kid. 26. And his death, where does it lay before these indictments? Oh, four. I ran his benefit. I was the one that started it. We got it all together and shit. We, we, made, we gave his wife $184,000 cash. So one of Hurley's aunts said I stole money from the benefit. You know, I didn't handle any of the money. It was a money counting room. I collected ticket money. Like, you got 20 tickets to sell for like $100. You turn that money in, okay? It was all accountable. Jake was in the money room. A lieutenant was in Another lieutenant was in there. Jim McGovern was in there. And a couple women. Never handled the money. I even won $1,000 and fucking donated it right back to Hurley's fucking, right on stage. When and why did she say this? She collected money for T-shirts. And she gave me $800. I turned around and took that $800 and gave it to Danny McGuire, whose son is autistic. He has a benefit from every year. Well, he does. He used to. I don't know if he does anymore. It was Danny Boy's fundraiser. Every year we would have something. Minimum every year. Sometimes every two years. We auction off a brand new Harley Davidson. But I would always fucking donate my own money. But I gave the $800 from the t-shirts. So she said, I stole the money. And I'm like, okay. So I stole the money. Yeah, I did steal the money. I stole it to give it to fucking Danny McGuire. But he backed that up. So it's a joke. 800 fucking dollars. I donated a thousand. I won on the stage. Fucking raised a hundred fucking eighty thousand dollars we raised for that fucking dude. I was the chairman of the fucking committee that started that whole fucking thing. I mean, it burned me up, man. 
I came out of Cook County Jail and the fucking media asked me that. And I was going to knock the guy out. I said, ah, fuck, I'm in enough trouble. You said these sergeants and other people above you were not taking money. Did they know what you guys were doing? Were they smart enough to not want to know? Probably a little bit of both. I'm sure they knew. You see the complaints come across where there's an allegation of some money that was taken. The complaints were handled in-house. Sometimes, you know, outside internal affairs. You know, Neil, I didn't get any. I mean, I did at the beginning of my career. Man, maybe one or here or there. But I never got brutality beefs because you can beat them with a the fucking pen. You know what I mean? You get the complaints and there are those searches and then, you know, if there's some money missing. I don't think they were that dumb. These guys were not always bosses. A lot of these guys worked on tech teams other places. So if they weren't involved in that, if they were around other people that were doing it, they knew. You're not going to tell your sergeant, you know, I stole some money. You got to be a fucking moron to do that. Do I wish I would have never started stealing money? Yeah, I do. Ruined my career, ruined my fucking, my life. And I lost my freedom over it. I'm not condoning it or making it, but it's just people are people. I gave in to greed, but I wasn't the only one. There were a number of us. And I met a lot of other guys on the job in different places I worked that were doing it. Nothing to be proud of. I know this sounds stupid, Neil, and it's against the law, but I almost just thought it was like normal. I went to the 7th District and I saw it there and then I participated in there, even Gaines West, and did some there. Not so much, but some. When I went back to 7, it was greater frequency. And if I can say this, we did not go out, Neil, just looking to steal money. We went out to lock up the bad guy, man. If we came across money, we took it. We turned all the dope and all the guns we recovered and never put them back on the street. And I'm not saying, well, you know, I'm looking for redemption for that. But on the other hand, myself, I never stole a penny from anybody who was a normal person, regardless of what some of the fucking newspapers have said, regardless of what one of the authors who wrote an article about me said for magazines. Never took innocent people. Never stole people's houses. I never took any belongings out of normal people's houses. It was only money out of drug dealers. That's all. And that doesn't make it right. But they made it like we were out there so fucking rampant, stealing from everybody and anybody. And that was not true. It was not true. Let's stop there. Our next conversation details the arrest of King Rudy Acosta a gang member who fronts as a record producer, auto detail specialist, and real estate mogul. When King Rudy is arrested, Jerry and his SOS unit kick down the dominoes of Rudy's life and quickly realize his father is a retired fireman and ward handler for the most powerful politician in Chicago, one Ed Burke. If there was ever a story that summarized Chicago politics and corruption, this next conversation is it and Jerry and his SOS unit careened straight into this political machine, which is their ultimate demise. <laughs> 